1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. You know, we're having a lot of fun in church today, and that's a good thing. We should be having fun here. We should be enjoying each other. We should be enjoying the presence of God. Uh, we live in a rough world. It's tough out there. It's uh, really tough. There's a lot of things going on, and it's hard to be a Christian in this world today, and we know that. We need to come here for strength. We need to come here for encouragement. We face giants. We live in a nation where militant atheism is on the rise. And by militant, I mean not just folks who have chosen not to believe in a God at all, but folks who really disdain us for believing that there is a God. Uh, more importantly, I think, and this speaks for more of our culture, there's just a general apathy towards God and church. Uh, years ago, 30, 40 years ago, a lot of our churches became very ritual and very traditional and very, uh, very quiet and subdued and boring. And the entire generation of folks looked at the world and saw a lot of exciting things going on out there, and they looked at the church and saw a lot of boring things going on in there, and they made the determination, I'm going to stop going to church whenever I'm out of my home. And what happened is that they left the church because they view the church as irrelevant to anything going on in their life. They couldn't imagine that God or the church would have anything practical or important to say to them. And they've raised children, sadly, who have never even donned the doors of a church. They've never even stepped in. You say the golden rule, and they thought their school made that up. You say things that are overtly Christian, and, and they have no concept. Even in my prayer a few moments ago, I said the word kingdom. The kingdom. Which 40 years ago, before we were in post-Christian America, that would have meant something to most people. But I hope you might have noticed even in the prayer, I just said, well, the kingdom of God is the effective will of God here on earth. Because we need to make those definitions today because there's entire kids or entire families and many portions of our nation, they've never gone through the doors of a church or said a bedtime prayer or read a story from the Bible. Yet here we are, the church of Christ, the son of God is ours, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Here we are, men and women, who have had our lives changed by our relationship to Jesus. So much so that four 30-year-olds up here would sing, Oh my Lord, what a time, on a Sunday morning, which is goofy and awesome all at the same time, right? Because they recognize that when they do leave this earth, the party's just getting started. So we, we have a lot that we can offer to folks, and not just hope for when we leave this earth, but there's a lot of people walking in hopelessness, hopelessness today. They don't know that God loves them. They don't know that God has a plan for their life. They don't know that they were created with a purpose, and they have no concept on how this man they keep hearing about Jesus could have anything to do with what is going on in their life today. We must determine how we face this giant. Churches who refuse to acknowledge the giant and don't determine ways to face the giant We'll lose to the giant. And we don't want to lose to the giant. Because we have the God of our fathers. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Who has hewn his church out of nothing. Out of a slave nation. He's hewn his church out of 12 fishermen and tax collectors. Who followed him. Hewn his church out of the death and resurrection of the very son of God. 
how we're going to face the giant. Now, last week we talked about what will happen if we shrink back when facing this giant. I invite you to go ahead to www.blchurch.com, click the podcast, listen to last week's message, because we found out that if we shrink back from the giant that we face, we're just going to wander in the wilderness until we die off. If we just keep doing things the way that we've always done them, and shrink back and say, we're going we're gonna to go behind our walls, we're going to get in our castle, and we're going to survive this onslaught, we're missing it. God calls us to be aggressive. He calls us to go take what's his. That's the concept of the kingdom. Go take back what is God's. Partner with God in doing what he's doing. Today we're going to read a story and portions of the story, because the chapter's very, very long, that all of us probably know. It's the story of David and Goliath. We saw what happened when the Israelites were scared of giants last week, but this is a giant that the Israelites were scared of again. So someone had the audacity to do something about it. And we're going to see if we can take some lessons here today to see how we can face the giant as we talk about our church vision moving forward. Verse 3 of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side. That's the arch enemy of Israel, by the way. And Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion, whose name was Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Let's just say that's tall, real tall, world record book tall. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had greaves of bronze on his legs, a javelin, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. How many of you have a weaver's beam in your home? I don't. Let's say it was a long spear. Anyhow, so he shouted, and his armor bearer went before him. So he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come to draw up for battle? I'm a Philistine. You're servants of Saul. So choose a man for yourselves. Let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, Today I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. All right. Do I need to explain any of that or you got it? You got it. Well, this goes on for 40 days. Then some teenager is what we imagine. Some teenager named David shows up. He comes to bring his brothers who are in the army some food from dad. And he sees Goliath out there after 40 days still taunting the men of Israel. No one will meet the challenge. So David said to the men that stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now circumcision was for the Israelite people the mark of their fidelity, their faithfulness to God. So by him saying this uncircumcised fellow, he's saying, who is this non-believer? Who is this person who really doesn't believe in the true God? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? You know what happens in that moment? His brother looks at him and goes, go home. And it wasn't because his brother knew what David was thinking. What was David thinking? You all know the end of the story. David's saying, I'm going to fight that guy. But his brother thinks that he just wants to see somebody get killed. 
He goes, go home. You just want to see the battle, you twerp. You know, get out of here. But that's not what takes place. He goes to the king. And he says, King Saul, I'm going to go fight this giant. And this is the craziest part of the story. Saul goes, okay. You are? Okay. All right, there's our champion, a teenager. He goes, I'll let you. They they didn't know what else to do. No one was going to go fight this guy. It was certain death. So what does Saul do? Verse 38. Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put on a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. David strapped Saul's sword over the armor, and he tried in vain to walk, for he wasn't used to them. Then David said to Saul, I can't walk with these, for I'm not used to them. So David removed them. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the wadi. He put them in his shepherd's bag in the pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. The Philistine came near and drew near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth and ruddy and handsome in appearance. Because <laughs> that matters. All right. Every word is inspired. Every, anyhow, so. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you'd come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me. I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the field. Now that's some smack, right? Here's some better smack. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with the sword and spear and the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. And this very day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I'll strike you down. I'm going to cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of all you Philistines this very day to the birds of the air and the wild animals of the earth, so that the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not save by the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine drew near to meet David, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, striking down the Philistine and killing him. And I really will spare you the rest of the gory details. Don't keep reading. It's gross. (laughs) Pretty cool story, right? Pretty cool story. And it's sort of what propels David to eventually become king of Israel. He's already been anointed by the prophet Samuel, but he goes out and does this very courageous thing. So before we go any further, because you know I'm going to bring this story into the present day, we must establish the identity of our giant. Our giant is not non-Christian people. The giant is the culture. The giant is the prevailing thought. Do you see the difference? Jesus called us to be fishers of men, not filayers of men. All right? Our goal is to bring these folks into the boat that is Christ Jesus. Our goal is not to get the fish and fillet them on out. People are not the concern here. The culture, the attitude, the prevailing wisdom is our struggle, is our giant. How do we get a hearing? How do we make a difference in a culture that is getting more and more atheistic and getting more and more apathetic towards the things of God. Well, 
I believe if we look at the story of David and look at the giant that he faced, we learn a couple of things. One, he had a strong conviction about who God was. A very strong conviction. He said, you come at me with all this stuff, all this armor, all these instruments to fight, right? I come to you with God. He's the boss. Let me show you. That's what he goes and fights with. He has a very strong conviction about who God is. He also does something very interesting. He doesn't put on somebody else's armor and keep it on. It's very easy for churches today to go, you know what? We're, we're, we're not in the place that we want to be. Let's go get somebody else's armor and put it on. Let, let's see what's going on at that successful group over there in that state. Let's, let's see what's going on in the culture and see how much of that we can bring into here. And we'll put that on as our armor and we'll go fight in that. And David tried it on for a moment and he goes, no, that's not me. That's not me. The history here is that David was a shepherd and he had to defend the flock against wild animals, bears, tigers, wolves, lions, whatever. I don't know if tigers was in there, so don't quote me on that. I'm pretty sure lions was. That was the history, and how did he defend? He had his sling, and he had his stones. So he wasn't going to go and use Saul's armor. That wouldn't have made much sense for him. He was his own unique person. So what was David's part in all this? Obviously, God gave him the strength to do what he was going to do. God gave him the courage to do what he was going to do. And his convictions about who God was made it possible for him to go out and do this incredible thing that is still remembered 3,000 years later. One of the most famous stories of human history. What was David's part? He went down to the river and chose five stones. And the writer does tell us what kind of stones they were. Smooth ones. What was David's part? David was very choosy about what he faced the giant with. Do you see where I'm going? He was choosy about what he faced the giant with. He knew that the Lord would give him the battle, but he didn't go and get any stone. He was going to go get stones that flew straight and true. And that he was convinced that if he flung those at the giant, they'd hit their mark. We have to be choosy about what we choose to do as a church to face our giant, to face this culture. And I believe the Lord's given us five smooth stones that we can face this culture with and win the battle. Now, before I go any further with the five points of the sermon, I want to make something very clear to you. On the kiosk, in the lobby, are the core values of Victory Life Church. They include things like fidelity to Scripture, Prayer, worship, relationship, cross-cultural missions, evangelism, core values, the things that we stand for, the things that we will always stand for, those are listed. You can pick up a copy of that in the lobby today. So before I tell you about what we're going to do moving forward, know that our identity as the people of God in a New Testament church is not going to change. What we're going to fling at the giant has to. There's a difference here. Core values are who you are. Vision is what you hope to accomplish and what you think will get you to the place that you need to go. It's method and it's modes. I have in my hand vision statements from Victory Life Church 
from 1984, 1990, and 1995. You said, why do you need so many? Because when you accomplish one thing, you move on to something else. When you feel like you're doing one thing well, you continue and define it further. So I want to tell you today, as I lay some of these things out for you, the five things that I lay out may be different five years from now. They probably should be, because we live in the information age. We live in the fastest-paced, knowledge-based, anybody-could-find-out-anything-in-an-instant age. Things move fast. But we believe as leadership that these are the things that God's calling us to now. And if you have your notes page, you can open up today to number one. Some of this will come as a, uh, be interesting to you. Some of this you will have heard before, but we're going to define it a little bit further. Number one, one of our smooth stones is worship clarity. We believe that what we do on Sunday mornings is primary. You say, I don't know if I believe that. This is the opportunity right here that we have to affect the most people at one time. That should be primary. It should have focus. It should be something that we're very careful with, something that we respect. And we have three things that we're looking for from a Sunday morning service here at VLC. First, we want it to be celebratory. Did you catch that today? Did we celebrate a little bit so far? That was cool. That's what we're going for. We have a God who's changed our lives, who's saved us, who's made us new. We have a God who's come and shown the love from heaven by dying on our behalf and giving us salvation. We have a God who's with us every step of the way of our lives. We have so much to be thankful for. The people of God, when they gather, should gather to celebrate him. Him. You say, well, those songs were loud and they were raucous and people were jumping. I thought Caleb was going to fall into the wall. Uh, They're just dancing before the Lord. David did it. He danced all the way to Jerusalem, bringing the Ark of the Covenant behind him. See, we're going to celebrate God here. And you say, I don't know where the uh, history goes with that. If they were, We just sang the Apostles' Creed. I don't know if you know. They were celebrating God 2,000 years ago with the same thing we sang. We just put some music to it. Well, Hillsong did. <laughs> I mean, we just sang the Apostles' Creed. Everything we sang here was truth today. We just did it with modern music. And you know what? Modern music has always influenced the church in a good way. And we're not fighting worship wars here. You guys know that. We're one, of, we're one of the few churches in the area that's not fighting a worship war. Those of you who would prefer something different than what we present here, you are so sweet and kind about that. God bless you. And I mean that. That's not tongue-in-cheek. We're not fighting a worship war here. You know one of the signs of a dying church is fighting worship wars. I want this. I want this. I want that. I hate that guy. We don't have that here. Now, whether we sing a hymn or whether we sing something that was written yesterday, we're going to celebrate God. That's what we come in to do. We're going to celebrate the Lord. That's what we're going to come in to do. You know, there's anthems for every, every time in Christian history. Do you think all those German peasants who were living with Martin Luther were singing the mighty fortress like this? A mighty fortress is our God. Up all work never. I hate this song. 
What's that baby doing? I have a feeling they sang, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And they were a lot closer to death than we are. That was the Middle Ages. <laughs> They're probably going to go home and die of scurvy that night. They needed a bulwark. Folks, if you don't come here to celebrate God and you're looking at everybody else going, what is wrong with them? The problem's with you. God is worth being celebrated and honored and revered. And we would rather do it happily than drudgingly. We're here to celebrate. We also need to have worship clarity in making things accessible. As I just mentioned, people don't know our lingo. I'm saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Mm. That means nothing to 90% of people in our culture. So you can go say that to somebody, and they're going to go, Christian weirdo. Now, you can say that to me, and I'll go, I'm so glad that the Lord's moved in your life. But say it to somebody out there, they're not going to know. Our services have to be something that people can come into and feel welcomed at and not feel like an outsider. Not feel like an outsider. We need to be explaining Christian terms. Things that we do on stage need to be well done. They should fit. We shouldn't have 78 elements to our service. We should celebrate the Lord. We should take tithes and offerings to give to him. And we should have the opportunity to listen to the word of God and respond to it. We can do other things at times, but those are what we're here to do. So things that don't fit into those categories need to fit in the service that we're doing. We need to have testimonies, and when we have testimonies, they need to be good. I have gone to this church 27 of my 31 years. I lived in Tennessee for a few years. They knew how to have church down there. We knew how to have, to have church here, and I'm not putting us down, but I want to tell you about testimonies. In the 27 years that I've spent at Victory Life, and you're going to say, oh, he's such a meanie. I've heard more bad testimonies than good ones. Why? People aren't public speakers. And by the end of the testimony, they don't even know where they started. And then they forget to give glory to God. I can't tell you how many times I've heard a testimony where somebody told you all the bad things that happened in their life, and then they go, but praise God. Praise God what? What's the rest of it? And so we're going to try to make sure the testimonies that come from this congregation are done well, and that God gets glory from them, not just the sob story. And if you think that that's harsh, I apologize, but we're not going to alienate people by putting things across this stage that don't fit and that aren't right. If that sounds harsh, you're missing it. Because we're living in a day and age where if things don't fit and if they aren't right, people don't return. They don't return. And we need to strive to honor time. We're one of the only churches in the area that meets for a full hour and a half. And we're going to say why we do that in just a minute. Most churches are an hour, hour and 15, and they're out. But we're going to try to not move past that hour and a half. But there's a reason that we meet for an hour and a half, and it's this. We're going to have services that give God time to move. Because I believe that we can become that cookie cutter, that all their presentations are great from the front, all of their music is right on. But if we don't give God time to speak into the lives of people, we are remiss. We're remiss. 
What is our goal here? It's to be accessible to the non-believer, but it's to give the believer time to make commitments to God, to spend time in his presence, to be moved by his spirit. David said, to, or Jesus said to the woman at the well, the time is coming and has now come that you won't worship God in Jerusalem at the temple or on this mountain, but those who worship God will worship him in spirit and in truth. So we can spout all the truth that we want to from this pulpit, and we can have all our music right on, but if we don't allow people time to pray and process with the Lord, we're not grabbing hold of God's spirit. So we're not going to become the cookie-cutter church, folks. Because the cookie-cutter megachurch doesn't have this as their element of service. I'm just telling you that. That's not part, that's, that might be part of their armor, but it's not going to be us. We are an evangelical, charismatic body of believers. And that means we give the Holy Spirit time to move. Amen. We don't just preach and say, hope that affected you, see you later. And that is why we have these times in the altar after the service. Not so we can manipulate you. Not so that the pastor can feel good that, oh, people came up and I preached, must have preached a good message. It's not why we do that. But we're going to do that consistently, folks, because we want to give you the opportunity to respond to the message, to be prayed for if you need healing, to pray for your loved ones, to meet God in this sanctuary. That's who we're going to be. And it's not going to change. I know it's not the prevailing wisdom. I know it's not what every church is doing. I know that the biggest churches in the world, most of them don't do this. But we're going to. We're going to seek God in this place. We're going to seek him when he may be found. And so you say, can you grow a church that way? Yes. Yes, you can. Because that is the power of God being able to have the time to move in people's lives. And there are going to be people saved and radically healed because we allow God the time to do it right here. Right here. And that was just point number one. Point number two. Oh, what can I do? See, Val, you're on this. What can I do? Number one, please show up on time ready to celebrate. Please show up on time ready to celebrate. Please show up on time and ready to celebrate. I'm not ragging on you folks, but I came here on VBS Sunday and I stood here with one of our elders and we had about 65 visitors in the room and about 20 victory lifers. How do we model celebration if we're walking in at 35 after? How, how do we show people that, that we're serious about God here if we're later than the visitors, okay? Not ragging on you, I'm just bringing something to your attention. Be on time and seek the Lord. We need to remain engaged throughout the service. We don't need to be checking our phones at 1140 because Pastor Matt preached too long, all right? Remain engaged and model this to other people. Seek the Lord when he, you have the chance. Don't think to yourself, you know what, I'm just not there today. I, I, it, it, the message really didn't affect me. Seek the Lord anyways. Bow your head in prayer. You don't got to come to the altar. Use that time to commune with God. What's 15 minutes of prayer in the presence of the Lord? Remain engaged in our service to the very end. Don't check out mentally before it's over. And we can model to the non-believer what we believe in. Number two, visual clarity. Walked into the Rite Aid on Bailey Road this week. Boy, that looks nice. Anybody been in there? Rite Aid, Bailey Road. Mike, you've been in there? They remodeled the whole thing. It looked great. It made me want to shop there more. Made me want to shop there more. We have to understand the type of building that we're in. 
We're in a building that for the most part is 27 years old. In fact, I have uh, in my little folder here invitations to the, uh, to the initial services here in the building. In fact, they can go up on the screen. Val, are you able to bring those up? It's right in the, right in the queue. Th- this church was dedicated on Sunday, the 10th of April, 1988. It was a very good year. This church was dedicated then. Major businesses, there it is, pretty cool. Major businesses and manufacturers out there recognize something. If you don't have people, when they walk in, go, everything here makes sense, this looks good. They don't come back. They don't come back. You say, hold on a minute, we were just going to be all about seeking the Lord, now you're going to go all marketing on us. No. But I was sitting with one of our elders months ago, and somebody said, we have a beautiful facility. And he said, I I want us to hold on just one moment. And the elder said, you know, we, 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 we have a functional facility. We have a functional facility. And folks, our ceiling is ve- our, our building is very functional. But we need to make sure that our building and our property looks spectacular. Amen. We need to make sure that it's right on. And some of the things that fly here at church, you wouldn't let fly at your own home. But we let the house of God look that way. And I say all this because... Studies show that we will not have a chance with millennials, this generation, unless we pass the eye test first. They've judged us by the time they make it to the second set of doors in the hallway. They might have even judged us before they got into the park, all the way into the parking lot. We need to make sure that we pass the eye test in everything that we do. And the trustee board has been working very hard to make sure that is beginning to happen around here. Just in this year, we've stained the pavilion, we've power washed the buildings, we've put on new shutters. I hope you've noticed that we've cleaned and removed clutter from our lobbies. We've got shirts for our safety teams, we've updated our logo. We've removed our outdated and broken chandeliers, we've replaced our dim yellow hall lighting with bright white lighting. We've removed thousands of pounds of basketball apparatus from this sanctuary. Thank you, Dan Ball and CJ and Conrad. I was really scared on the lift. Uh, because those are in our sight lines for worship. We've hired a new custodian to increase cleanliness and accountability. We're working towards it. What's next in visual clarity? We're working on getting a new road sign that doesn't scream 1992. We're going to get a decent ceiling in this room that doesn't remind you of a large adult diaper. There really are places with water damage. Anyhow, (laughs) we're going to look to get proper signage throughout the building so when somebody comes in our parking lot and into our doors, they know where to go. That's part of reaching people and caring about people who haven't been in the building before. We're going to look to transform our adult classrooms from places to learn to places to learn and connect. We're learning that this generation is not on some deep-seated journey for truth, They're looking for places to connect. And though we believe that we hold the truth of Jesus Christ, we need to make sure that we change with the culture and make sure that when people come into our classrooms, they're not staring at the back of the head of the person in front of them, but they're connecting with a group of fellow believers. We're looking to expand our lobby to be a place where people can congregate that isn't so crowded. We're 
getting quotes right now to update and expand our nurseries, some of which haven't had a lot of work done to them in terms of their structure since 1986-87. That's what we're going to do. So what can you do to help us with visual clarity? One thing, if you see a room or a lobby or a sanctuary in disrepair, why don't you just fix it right then? You see clutter, grab it. Throw it away. Ask a pastor where it goes. Please don't shove it in Pastor Spring's back supply room. You're welcome. Don't do that. Ask us where it goes. But let's make sure that we keep this facility nice day to day. You're part of that. This is your church, not my church, our church. Let's keep it nice. Leave it better than you found it. If you see something that's wrong or needs to be updated, go into the church office and please fill out a work order for one of our trustees. If you fill out a work order, it'll get into a trustee meeting. It'll go into our minutes and our trustees will work to remedy the situation. And we ask you with us to prayerfully partner with us as we begin to make major improvements first to this sanctuary. We want this to be a hallowed place where we worship God. Not a January, but a place that we set aside for the worship of God. And part of that is to take it from this very industrial look and to try to make it to a place where in all of our minds and hearts it'd be hallowed for the worship of God. So we'll be looking hopefully this year to replacing it, not replacing, but changing the look in the ceiling in here. And we'll move on to walls and flooring next. Number three, we're going to have a consistent mission field. A consistent mission field. We've already highlighted that for those of you who are at the annual meeting. We believe that Wyoga Lake Road is going to be the place that God has us to set down roots and minister in. Jesus said to his disciples, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations and start right in Jerusalem and then move into Judea and then into Samaria and then the uttermost parts of the earth. And the truth is there are neighborhoods right around here, people who are in transition, people who who, who are in need that are going to be ripe for the harvest. Because people come to their belief systems at the crises of life. People who are atheists and decided that God didn't exist usually did so because of an unanswered prayer. So they got mad at God and decided he didn't exist. So if you think that's manipulative, that we want to win people who are in crises, I, I want to I just tell you, people who are in crises have needs and we can meet them. But the greatest need of the human heart is connection to God, and that happens through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That happens through Jesus. And so we have a mission field. We've highlighted it. We're going to look at those apartments in Wyoga Lake Road and say, if we're going to do things in evangelism and local missions, it's going to be there. It's going to be there. Pastor CJ and I and Pastor Spring and Gary, we walked around there before the single parent fair just talking to folks, and we stopped at one gentleman, and we said hey, uh, are there any single parents in your building? And he laughed. And he said, everybody's a single parent in our building. That's need. Because God designed us to have a mom and a dad and a family unit. But that's not the reality. Those are needs that we can help meet. People in transition, people who are having a hard time. And I want to tell you, God's beginning to open doors. This week I have a meeting with the directors of the Peachtree Estates. It's a, a housing group over on Wyoga Lake Road that reintroduces mothers who have been in prison and under supervision they get to come back and be with their kids. 
and reintroduce them into society. I talked with that director, and she said to me, you're going to be sorry that you called me because I'm going to be calling you for the next 10 years. People have need, and we can meet it. One of the things that the evangelical church in America, that means the people who really believe the Bible tells us to evangelize people, to share the good news, one of the things that we have done for the last 30 years is we will go and we'll do these popcorn evangelism projects and we'll go from one place to another to another. Oh, we went down to North Canton today and we cleaned out the children's shelter. What a great evangelistic endeavor. Aren't we a good church at evangelism? And six months later, it's downtown Cleveland. And in downtown Cleveland, we worked at the food pantry. Aren't we good evangelists? And I want to tell you, those are good things to do. They are noble things to do. But we're not called just to do popcorn service projects. We are called to make disciples. And you start making disciples by setting down roots in the community, getting a name for your church in that community, a good name, and then you bring them the truth about Jesus Christ right where you're at. And so I tell you this today because we're going to try to choose our smooth stones carefully. So if you say, I want to go work at the shelter in North Canton, I'm going to say, God bless you. I'm glad he called you to that. And when you say, can I have $300 a month to do that? I'm going to say no. And I don't make those decisions. The elders together make those decisions. But we have to choose what we support and what we do. And folks, when we have evangelized the Wyoga Lake Corridor to the point where it cannot be evangelized anymore, then we'll pick a new mission field. Then we'll pick a new mission field. But we're going to set down roots and evangelize this area. Victory Life Church's vision, 1984.1, the unsaved people of the metro area need to be reached. Point two, the lost sheep of the house of Israel need to be loved and find a church home where they can get fed and work for the Lord. Point four, we are making a permanent commitment here to allow God to do it through us. Here. Here. You know why here is so scary? Because it's dangerous. That's why it's scary. Popcorn evangelism isn't scary. You go in for an afternoon and you're out. Having a presence in a community, though, and caring very much about how your church is viewed and how God is viewed through your church, that's hard. That's intimidating. But that's exactly what we're going to do. And we are going to win lots of people to Jesus Christ right here. We don't need to go 30 minutes in every direction to try to do that. We're going to set down roots and do the hard work here. That means we have to care about our name. We have to care about our reputation. We need to be as gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. And we're going to do that. If you'd like to know more, there's a lot more going on with local missions right now. And we'd be happy to talk to you about that. Number four, two more points. We're going to move quick. Can you tell I'm somewhat passionate about some of these things? If I come across as heavy-handed today, I apologize. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to come across as passionate about where I believe the Lord's leading us. And I, I can't help but be excited about what's next for us. Number four, we're going to partner with God. Or like I, how I like to put it, we're going to have a kingdom of God mentality. The good news to the people living in Judea and Samaria and Galilee when Jesus was preaching was even though Christ wasn't going to bring them out of their socioeconomic circumstance, he was going to give them purpose and hope. 
And part of that purpose is what you should be seeking in your life right now. We're not going to be the priesthood of one or the priesthood of five here at Victory Life. We believe in a model where God speaks to individuals and individuals say, God has called me to this. And we say, how can we help? How can we step in? How can we as a church support you? But what we've done here by saying that is we've identified a mission field already. So when you think about God's given me gifts to feed those in need, think about Wyoga Lake. When you say, I I have financial skills, I'm able to help people budget and and get out of debt, think about Wyoga Lake. I love kids, I love working with kids. I like puppets, I do puppets. Think about Wyoga Lake. When you say, well, I have gifts of hospitality, I'm really good at making people feel welcome and at home, we have numerous teams right here at the church for you to partner in. Anybody who's been through our new members class and has, has done their spiritual gifts inventory with Miss Joan, and I call her Miss Joan because she taught me when I was three, anybody who's done that knows what we believe about this. We believe that you personally get to partner with God to change the world. That's why we pray, that's why we seek him, that's why we listen for him. And we believe that God has given us a mission to redeem the world for him. We're not conquering Canaan today, we're redeeming the world. See last week's message. We believe that we need to partner with God and that you should be seeking what God has for you to do to expand his kingdom. And then finally, number five. Number five. We're going to strengthen families. Most of the ills of our culture is because of the breakdown of the family. Most of the imprisonment in our culture is due to the breakdown of the family. Most of the things that have happened in our culture that have gone wrong is because the family unit that God designed has been assailed. And it wasn't assailed five years ago, it was assailed 50 years ago. And the church has been trying to respond to it ever since. But we are going to try to have strong families here at Victory Life. We're going to try to have men in this church who say, my authority doesn't stop with me. My authority is him and his word. You know how you get a man of integrity and strength? He's not his own boss. God is. And we're going to teach our men, and we're going to lead our men and say, men, if you want your life to turn around, if you want things to go right, it's time to submit to God and follow his leading for your marriage and your family. And so in the last eight months, we begin the process of retooling our men's ministry. In fact, we're going to have a barbecue for men later in the month to tell you about the things that we're doing to try to strengthen the lives of men in this church, to be God-fearers and God-seekers. In the past eight months, we've retooled our women's ministry. Wonderful ladies who have been part of the vine, rooted in Christ and growing together to make sure that the moms and the women in this congregation are fed and they have a place to come and talk about what's going on in their lives and gain wisdom from other women so that they can be the godly people that God has called them to be. So we've retooled our men's ministry. We've retooled our women's ministry. We're working hard to make sure that those are strong. We're retooling our children's ministry. It's going to be a ministry that we focus on benchmarks for biblical literacy, benchmarks for literacy about the things of God, and make sure that every single class is working towards goals. We already were halfway there because our classes and we're working towards studying the Bible every week. 
but now every single child in this church will know what they're working on in their age group. So that when we get to the spring of next year, we're going to have one big old party. And we're going to have trophies, and we're going to have prizes, and we're going to clap, and we're going to scream because our kids are being raised in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And they're accomplishing something, not just for kindergarten, third grade, and fifth grade, but they're accomplishing things in the kingdom of God. They're learning. So we're working on, on retooling that. And our youth and young adult ministries are something that we will not let down. Pastor CJ is doing an incredible job of outreach right now. More and more visitors are coming every single week. And I appreciate the youth who have caught his vision. Those of you who go, that's right, I'm going to bring people here so they can learn about Jesus. Keep doing it. That's what matters. Our youth ministry is going very well. And then finally, we have a young adult ministry that's in transition because the young adult pastor left. <laughs> and I want to thank the leaders of the young adults, Josh Sipos and Josh and Maddie Kopsik and Eric and Joey Brown, who have made sure that there's still strong programming for our young adults. But we have begun our young adult pastor search because we're not going to lose our 18-year-olds to the world. We're just not. It's important that we recognize that 80% of kids who grow up in church leave the church in the decade of their 20s. We don't want that to be the case here. And that means strong programming for the 18 and up crowd as well. And so something for everybody in the family. If your family is a person of one, God bless you. We have things to strengthen your family. If you're a family of eight, God bless you. We have things to strengthen your family. Because we believe that individuals being taught and led by Jesus Christ is the way. Is the way to a happy and healthy community. So when you come and bring a class and say, you know what, Pastor Matt, I, I, I'm interested in teaching this class, there's going to be specific questions that we're going to ask. How does this strengthen families? How does this advance the kingdom of God? What's the mission? What are we going for here? You say, I want to do this outreach. Where do you want to do it? How do you want to do it? Is this something that we can get behind because of where the vision is at? You say, what can I do to strengthen families? Well, one, Victory Lifers, you can show up to these opportunities for men, women, youth, children, and young adults. You can just show up and get involved. And once you're involved and you feel like you're part of that ministry, then it's time to bring a friend. That's how you can get involved in strengthening families. That buddy at work who's having trouble and his marriage is falling apart, and you go, Hey, man, why don't you come with me? We're having a men's barbecue in a couple of weeks. It's going to be cool. We've got this going on. We've got that going on. We're teaching men how to lead better lives. You see that woman across the hall or across the street, and she's having all types of trouble with her kids, and you know that there's going to be an opportunity for her to draw strength, and you go, you know what? I'm going across the street, and I'm inviting her to come with me. You see that loner who's walking the halls at school who nobody talks to, who sits at that table alone, and you know that you've been called by God to reach out to that person, but it would take everything in you because what would your friends think? You go anyways and you invite them to church with you. That's how we strengthen families. We get people involved in our departmental ministries. Now, some of you who have heard this in the last half an hour or so, you might say, Pastor Matt, I knew all that. Great. 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 That's what we want. If you came here expecting today that I was going to tell you about how we were going to build a 40-foot tower over here 
where we would then shoot guns with Bible tracts all through the neighborhoods of Stowe. That's not what our vision is. That's not what we're going to do. That's not what we're going to do. We're going to make sure that when you bring your friends, your acquaintances, and your family into this place, that things are right, both by worship and visual clarity. We're going to make sure that we don't just do popcorn evangelism so we can pop ourselves in the back, but we're going to pat ourselves on the back, but we're going to get our skin in the game. And we're going to set down roots in a community. And we're going to continue to work and work and work until people are giving their lives to Jesus Christ. We're going to make sure that you hear messages time and again that encourage you to seek the Lord and what he has for you. Because it's important that you partner with God and his kingdom to retake this earth. And we're going to look right to the community around us because of the strength of our families where everybody in our families is seeking the Lord and being changed by his word and being touched by his spirit to become more like Christ. That's the vision. It's what we're going to do. Some of it's no different than what we've been doing for 30 years. Some of it is recognizing that we're 30 years old and it's time for us to make some changes. Some of it is changing how we do evangelism. But all of these things, I believe, is what God's called us to, to expand his kingdom here at Victory Life. I hope you'll continue to partner with us. The strength of Victory Life is not in our numbers, it's not in our facility, it's in our people. It's in you saying, I will submit to the Lord and allow him to work in my life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for who you are. We thank you today for what you're going to do. We thank you today that day by day as we come into this place, more and more people are going to sit in these seats and give their lives to Jesus Christ. Lord, we know what we're flinging at the giant. We know what we're going to do moving forward. We're going to pick our stones wisely. We're going to be choosy. We're not going to wear the armor of other churches. We're going to do what you call us to do. We're not going to see people as our enemy, but we're going to see the culture as something to be overcome. Lord, we're going to try to get people who are atheistic and apathetic towards God and show them that God is real and he can change lives. Lord, I pray that you would bless us in this endeavor. Help us to not tire of doing what is good and what is right. Help us, Lord, to be wise in all that we do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Will you stand? I don't know what it looks like outside, but don't look.